Welcome to the Get World Savvy podcast. I am your host, Ivy Shu. On Get World Savvy, we have fascinating conversations with some of the top leaders and disruptors in tech and tech-enabled businesses across industries and across geographies. You'll hear from experts in the fast-growing markets in the world, as well as more established startup nations on their predictions on industry trends, growth opportunities, and how to best position yourself to ride the wave up. In between, I'll be here doing some solo shows as well to help fill in some knowledge gaps. Join the community of listeners, a global network of ambitious, impact-hungry professionals in tech at Get World Savvy Network on Facebook. Today, we are here with Karthik Vaidyana, the Director of Product at Indeed Singapore. Prior to Indeed, Karthik was the Chief Product Officer at GoPlay, the video-on-demand app or the Netflix under Gojek's ecosystem of companies. Karthik is originally from India and started in the tech industry there. He is a three-time entrepreneur and a one-time unicorn exiter with his startup Insta Lively acquired by Hike Messenger in India. When launched in 2014, Insta Lively was the first mobile live streaming app in Asia and one of the pioneers of live streaming in the entire region. They focused on instant video and audio digitization on low 3G bandwidths, pre-4G times, using just an app, making it as simple and cost-effective for the consumer to create and broadcast content from any location. Thank you so much for doing this with me, Karthik. It's really nice to have you all the way from Singapore. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So to start it off, I would love to hear about your professional experience, especially moving from India over to Southeast Asia to join Gojek as chief product officer, and then why you left Gojek to join Indeed. Great. Yeah. So I started off as an entrepreneur a couple of day, uh, years back. It was in, uh, I think, 2012-ish. So my first company was in the U.S., didn't work out, came back to India, did my second and third company in India. Eventually, uh, sold that company to a larger, it's kind of like the WeChat for India, it's called Hike. They acquired a company, it was one of the largest uh, social media acquisitions in India at that time, uh, in around like 2016, 17. And uh, post that, joined, uh, so worked there for a year. We had like a golden handcuff period, typically uh, from an acquisition. So from then on, I was looking for some international exposure. Uh, I wanted to, again, kind of travel, work in a different country. And Gojek uh, came across as a, a great opportunity in order to do that. So I was like, like the CEO reached out to me. I had a friend of a friend from Harvard Business School who was like reaching out. Uh, this, the CEO of Gojek is from Harvard Business School. Suppose that I, I wanted an international exposure and uh, there was an opportunity that was presented by Gojek. Uh, there was a common friend from Harvard Business School and the CEO was, uh, of Gojek is also from Harvard Business School. And they reached out to me and we are like, hey, we're looking for someone who has prior entrepreneurial experience and who has you know, done this before in Asia, Southeast Asia. And uh, they wanted the position to be based out of Singapore. I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, I think this sounds exciting, but I don't know much about Gojek at that point of time. Like, what's this company Gojek? And then I started Googling about it because in India, Gojek was not as popular. And we're like, man, this is a $5 billion company. This is probably like one of the largest companies in Southeast Asia. So from there on, I started talking, got to know more about the product, the role. 
and that's how made the transition into uh, the CPA role at Gojek. So the role was to start a new uh, business unit in Gojek and the business unit was trying to create a Netflix for Southeast Asia, having localized content for Indonesia, having localized content creators for Indonesia, really creating something that's unique and tailored for Indonesia including the payment systems itself like netflix only accepts credit cards credit cards are not you know very rampant in like indonesia and like even the content collection of netflix was not like great in indonesia so how can uh, one of the fourth largest countries in the world have access to better uh, video on demand and that was essentially the mandated Gojek. Uh, moved to Singapore. Singapore was a very interesting experience first time I came and we'll probably talk about that later. I think almost after a year, a year and a half, there was the management team uh, decided that probably Singapore was not the best place to build out the team for GoPlay, which is uh, the Netflix for Indonesia. Why not move to Jakarta? And by the time I had already moved and my wife had like already settled and all that was done. And we're like, oh man, we're not moving to Jakarta now. And that's how the transition happened from Gojek, like within a relatively short span of time. So just about like in beta phase of launching the product uh, at Gojek. And at that point of time, unfortunately, uh, because like I didn't want to move to Jakarta at that point, we had like a a peaceful transition onto a new leader whom we hired in Jakarta. And uh, when I was like looking out for other opportunities in Singapore, uh, that's when I came across Indeed. Indeed was, again, one of the companies that I was not super aware of. Uh, it's not super popular in Asia. It's an American company. It's more popular in the blue collar market because everyone knows about LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn is huge, uh, especially in the white collar market. But watch this indeed right uh, and that's when i started like really like talking to people googling online and i realized that indeed has is a company with almost three billion dollars in revenue uh, not gross merchandising value like revenue generating almost 500 million dollars of profit every year but their market is focused on the blue and pink color space that's like getting a chef and a, and a waiter and like you have registered nurses and truck drivers and like so these are like blue and pink collar not really white collar workers like product managers and designers so on deeper inspection on that space we realized that the uh, that space is really really huge indeed had more than 250 million monthly active users and um, and after that after meeting the team uh, i found the team like super impressive in singapore uh, and I'm like, yeah, I think this seems like a great place to work next. And that's how I got into Indeed. And ever since I've not looked back and I've had a great time. Cool. I think we touched on, well, you touched on so many different aspects that are very unique to Southeast Asia. For example, Singapore being a hub where most expats tend to move to, even though you end up building product for elsewhere, all across Southeast Asia. You talked about blue collar workers and pink collar workers, which is such a growing and huge demographic in Southeast Asia. So this is obviously such a great place to be. And then you also mentioned that you have entrepreneurial experience now in the US and in India and being on the executive team in Southeast Asia. So we'll touch on all of those things. This is very exciting to me. So many different things. You actually answered my question before I got to ask it was, why didn't you move directly to Jakarta? So maybe using that experience, you can talk more about what is Singapore's role in Southeast Asia and why did the executive team decide to base GoPlay there 
anyway, even though you were building for the Indonesian market? Sure. So uh, Singapore has generally been a great hub for attracting talent from across Asia because it's one of the most developed countries in Asia. Uh, Great infrastructure, uh, very safe. You know, the, the taxes are low, the pay is high. So in general, you get great access to Asia, but still get to live kind of the developed country lifestyle. So that is a huge pull for a large number of expats to move to Singapore. So you have, let's say, someone working in Amazon, in Bangalore, in India, and how do you actually attract that person? It's very hard, right? So what happens that a huge pull for a lot of people is to get them rebased to a better lifestyle or a better country. And in that way, that's how a lot of expats tend to kind of move to Singapore from all across Asia, whether that be from Indonesia, from India, from China, from Indonesia. So you have the cream of the talent from across Asia, uh, at least getting an opportunity to rebase to Singapore and employers use that as an opportunity to attract great talent. So that's one. Uh, And one of the primary reasons people kind of uh, move to Singapore and employers are based out of Singapore. Second is that employers are incentivized to create their HQ in Singapore because the corporate taxation is really low. Because the corporate taxation is low, uh, most of like the sales, uh, billing and invoicing is done from the Singapore entity. So they definitely need to have some presence for the sales and marketing teams to be based out of Singapore. And that's how even Indeed started. They had sales and marketing teams to be based out of Singapore and then like go into product and tech teams. And that's the same case with uh, Gojek too. We started like having a domiciled entity in Singapore and post that we like, okay, let's you know expand to a product and tech team. And that's how the general transition of most companies are based out of Singapore. Do you dive a bit deeper? And I know that I didn't ask this. What was the main problem with basing out of Singapore that they had to, in the end, move it back to Jakarta. Because I know that many companies experience this, right? When you're not in the market itself, you just aren't able to maybe act fast enough or to be as responsive. With us being in such a digital age, where do you need to take advantage of the speed? Why do you need to be in the market itself? Sure. So I think especially in the early stages of a product, and I would even say unless the product is really mature, Being close to your customer is a huge competitive advantage. Being able to regularly interview your customers, understand their pain points, doing deep qualitative research, that's because you don't have enough data to base your decisions off uh, early on in your product journey. So I had to travel to Indonesia almost every week or every alternate week in like the first six to eight months of building out the product and that was like taking a toll on my health it was taking a toll on the company because there was constant back and forth and in hindsight gojek it was a great opportunity for gojek to attract a lot of senior talent into singapore and this was the same like i think even my colleagues who were who was the chief data officer in this business unit when they were like joining into the singapore office from singapore itself but it was much harder to convince them to move to Indonesia at that point in time. So uh, what they would do is they probably attract people into Singapore and then allow them to travel across uh, Southeast Asia in order to be able to kind of get the best of both worlds. But uh, having said that, over the course of the next like one year, we realized that it 
once the product was launched and it was scaling that we didn't want to continue that model anymore because now that we've launched and now we have a sense of the market and the product was starting to show some early signs, uh, we wanted a leader to be based out of Indonesia itself so that they could be closer to the management team also as well as the customer and there's less of kind of back and forth. And uh, the second point being that in this business of video, it's super important that to understand that the main competitive advantage is your content collection and distribution. Right? So how do you source great quality content and how do you understand what is the right kind of content to prioritize for your users to come back to your platform regularly? So being close to the Indonesia market would allow us to probably talk to directors and producers and understand what is the kind of content, talk to uh, various content agencies and like prioritize the kind of content that needs to be like showcased on the app. So that's another reasoning why staying in Indonesia made a lot more sense to scale the product after the first year of building it. That makes a lot of sense, needing that face-to-face relationship, especially when you're working with other organizations and the directors within them. Let's highlight the differences between building product for a specific demographic of people, maybe just Indians versus Indonesians or Southeast Asians. What do you have to take into consideration? How are these two markets different? And why can't just any director product come and stroll in and take over? Sure. So I think uh, there are very interesting cultural nuances to each of these markets. Uh, For example, in India, India is an extremely transactional and price sensitive market, which means people are not going to spend a penny extra for any form of convenience. Uh, (laughs) Convenience is highly underrated and it is not valued. It's undervalued, underrated. You're not going to have you can't build product roadmaps based on the fact that, oh, we're going to have like some games to be played and based on the games, you're going to have like some points and these points are going to be, people are going to like play, uh, pay money to uh, play games. So for example, one of the most common business models, Southeast Asia is when people pay for playing games, whether that be internet cafes or whether that be online, uh, you go, you pay let's say like $10 for an hour and then you play games. But you'd never see that in India because India is an extremely price sensitive market and it's not because they don't have the capital to play. It's just cultural. So Indians tend to save, let's say 70 to 80% of the amount they earn. And uh, that's the reverse for, let's say different countries. Like for example, my boss who's, who's an American in like right now in Seattle. So he'd be like, at least spend 80% of what we, (laughs) and then, uh, if you look at like Indonesia, uh, that's around 60%. And that cultural nuance itself would, would translate very differently when building product. So uh, when you build product roadmaps, which require high engagement or let's say micro transactions, uh, India is not the best market for building micro transaction based products because you would, like people would not do micro transactions because they are extremely, they would not spend that money. Whereas the same product when in Gojek, for example, when you build the same product, uh, the one that Ola tried in India versus when Gojek tried it in Indonesia, uh, they built different products altogether. They built a super app, right? Uh, And they built microtransactions and people paid for convenience and it was so different and those products took off. So the concept of a super app and microtransactions took off in Indonesia and Southeast Asia 
whereas it didn't take off in India. A similar, another example is live video. When people were watching live videos in, uh, and live video is one of the largest markets in China and Southeast Asia, you could actually tip the person who's performing. Tipping is a huge concept in like Southeast Asia as well as China. But China, in India, yes. China, yes. Right? But in India, you'd not see a single person tipping. Uh, how can I say that? Because I built the largest live streaming platform in India and we tried building the exact same feature in India, right? Uh, with the same cultural nuances where people could tip when the performer was actually performing live and no one tipped, not a single person. And it is just so unique that a qualitative research is a huge competitive advantage in, in product. And I think experience working in uh, various markets and understanding the cultural nuances gives you know a product manager or a product director a competitive advantage of building products for that market. To your question of why someone else cannot just stroll in and uh, build products, because if we build products in India or Southeast Asia, the way we build products in the US or in Canada, probably not work. So speaking of the tipping culture and live streaming, I was in China last year. I was talking with people at ByteDance who's building TikTok and watching a documentary called The People's Republic of Desire. And it spoke a lot to the live streaming culture in China where people will tip millions of RMB, which is equivalent to hundreds of thousands of US dollars to one live streamer, the top live streamers, just to show that they have money and then everyone else watching would clap for them, right? And most of the money were coming from fourth and fifth tier cities, just the rich people there who own factories and they're very, very wealthy even though they live in such a poor area relative to Beijing, Shanghai, first tier cities. And that kind of behavior is just really not seen in the culture that I grew up in, which is in the US and Canada. And speaking about the super app, you said that it didn't take off in India and it takes off really well in Southeast Asia and China, but it also didn't really take off in the US. Why do you think that is? Yeah, so there are multiple theories for that, but uh, I'm gonna probably state the theory which I'm closest to and I, I'm closest to agreeing to. Sure. <laughs> I think the concept of a super app works best when you totally understand the market and you can quickly go ahead and build out tiger teams to replicate products and take over a market. So uh, let me kind of qualify that a bit more. In the US, new business opportunities have been and new business models have evolved over the years. Each company focused on a niche problem, a niche user insight and built out business models in order to solve them, whether that be food delivery uh, as an insight and how do you go about solving the problem or uh, how about doing that for transport and how about doing that for like storing images in the cloud. So all of these were niche uh, business problems which were solved uh, and they organically developed over time. But what happened in, in Indonesia was that one fine day, literally over the course of like six months, there was uh, great access to internet and uh, decent purchasing power for the people, still lower than India, but higher purchasing intent, which is again cultural, right? So there was this huge uh, white space of opportunity, which, and there were no uh, startups who had gone ahead and solved these problems for the people like food delivery or, you know, cab aggregation or e-commerce, or there was very little competition in that space. So when 
someone came in and had a first mover advantage, uh, which is Gojek, right? Uh, when Gojek came in, the CEO of Gojek was, he had you know, great connections. He was from Harvard Business School. Uh, he got like, uh, got great investors on board. He had like, you know, half a billion dollars in investment early on. So that's a huge competitive advantage in Indonesia, where the rest of the startups had not even raised a million dollars and they were not, none of them were uh, huge in any of these problem spaces. So because of this competitive advantage, Gojek had the opportunity to move fast and capture these business models because they knew exactly what would work. So they would go about uh, understanding that, okay, food delivery works. Let's figure out how to build a business around food. We've got capital. No one else is there. Let's go take over. Uh, now, second thing is that we know, uh, you know, services markets work. Like, we know, people want to order plumbers and like you know, electricians and so on. Someone... Now, and then they went about building various tiger teams to take over these various business models. We couldn't do that in the US because there was already decently large companies who are well-funded and who are uh, deeply ingrained in the market. So if to, today, if Uber raised $20 billion, they still would not be able to break into the market uh, because there are entrenched players. So Indonesia had that white space, which a few countries had, where there were no entrenched players in these business models which are already proven. In India, for that matter, uh, India was a more evolved startup market. Why, again, the super app didn't work in India was that there were entrenched players. India already had a large, India had like a lot of Western influence very early on. So we had adopted business models from the West and had sufficient access to funding. So there were already food delivery players who had raised multiple billion dollars of funding. There were you know, the cab aggregators were multiple billion dollars in funding and so on. So it's very hard for people to just come in and kind of take over that space. And yeah. a super app requires you to have, like, take over multiple spaces. And that's how you can form a super app. So. Yeah, definitely. That makes a lot of sense that for Indonesia and perhaps a lot of other developing countries, the internet and the intent to purchase and this white gap it all came at once. While in the US, it developed slowly over time. There was first e-commerce, there was first Amazon, and then there was food delivery. But by the time internet speeds, I guess, and infrastructure caught up in different places, it can all happen within the span of six months. So lucky for Gojek. <laughs> cool. So let's change gears a little bit on... So actually, I want to talk about the expansion of a US company into a different market versus maybe an Asian company expanding. Like Gojek is headquartered in Jakarta, but is in various markets now, including Malaysia, Singapore, et cetera. So when the US expands, it's a very common product roadmap or plan to go out there and push generally the same product with less localization and then hire people from the gig economy, right? So don't actually hire your own fleet. While I've seen a lot of more Asian companies go in and hire their own customer support team and their own fleet of drivers and sort of own every part of the chain. Do you think working at both Indeed and Gojek, how have you seen that play out in a place like Singapore? Yeah, so I think Singapore has uh, is probably a more advanced market. So I think what works in Singapore and what works in Indonesia was different. So Singapore has a large uh, number of, uh, Singapore is a highly uh, organized uh, taxi market. So you have 
uh, fleets of cabs which are under specific companies and there are also uh, fleet providers who essentially hold a whole bunch of cabs and uh, then you have various you know, so so these are kind of two business models so for example if there's a, a, a cab driver they can go to one of the fleet companies and say that hey i want to work for you and i'm part of your fleet right so uh, the other option is that they can go to the fleet company and say that i want to rent a cab from you right so that i'm going to pay you you know just for the uh, rent and then i'm free to do whatever i want to i can generate demand from you know gojek or grab or whichever product i want to so that's again an independent business model now in indonesia itself i think it's kind of way more you know fragmented there are uh, there are models where uh, you know there are cab owners and they hire they actually sublet so for example i am i could be the owner of a fleet of cabs and then i could be paying salary to my cab owners and then they are essentially so you are taking the risk of demand as an owner of a fleet of cabs right. and then uh, you know the drivers are getting a fixed salary so there are all these kinds of like various business models indonesia is again like highly fragmented so you have these models which are way more uh, new and they're still evolving at this point of time but i would say singapore is way more organized at this point of time so the approach of market expansion like the difference between the way that the us a us company might approach localization versus an asian company is there a difference between the two right like how indeed approaches localization of product versus how gojek did cuz gojek builds out completely individual business units while not all us companies do i'm not sure if indeed does sure so i think uh, what uh, indeed does uh, as localization is that because indeed's revenue still comes from the us almost like 50 60% from the us a uh, localization is a wing which works across multiple business units and helps them localize their product that's how it works in indeed so we have a localization team who will try and put best product practices for localization they'll try to improve the process efficiency for localization and incentivize various teams across indeed to localize their products because a lot of teams across indeed are not even incentivized to localize their products because the uh, based on basic like you know, product management principles you are always investing in very guess highest roi and probably uh, based on the metrics you are getting highest roi currently in us or canada so uh, product management uh, teams across indeed are still spending a lot of their time optimizing their product and growing it across like us canada and europe whereas the international team which sits out of singapore they are trying to incentivize these teams and show them the bigger picture they are like there is the world out here in asia which can essentially be impacted right so uh, this is very different from the model in gojek in gojek each team operate they're all independent business units which have their own leadership and uh, firstly they were not even looking at localizing their product because their product itself is local yeah uh, it's built for the specific market it's built for a specific market Uh, and if at all they wanted to localize their product like for example uh, which is an example in gojek was to localize their cab aggregation system to launch in singapore so what that was done is there is no internationalization or localization team each business unit independently handles their own localization or internationalization based on 
their specific needs. So that's very different from the Indeed model where there is kind of a team trying to incentivize everyone and trying to improve process efficiency across the board for internationalization. So I just want to summarize, and I have a few more questions about how Indeed works, but I believe how Gojek works is that there are some core technology and core product pieces that are given to different local teams or local business units, and you are able to make any product decision, any changes, so long that it is brand aligned, perhaps, and change any functionality and include any features, it's completely up to the business unit. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. So it's highly decentralized uh, to the point where like each business units operate independently, like its own little company. So that has its pros and cons. The pros being that you can move really fast. The cons yeah. being that you can make a lot of mistakes. And so I think right. that, that's the model that Gojek operates on. Right. I can see a lot of emerging markets operating on that model. I know Jumia in Africa is also like that. There's an individual business unit for different countries sometimes even different cities and okay and in china very interesting these large companies usually just expand by acquiring <laughs> local companies and in the us as you mentioned with indeed what you're saying if i understood properly is that there's one core product and there's a localization team that has to incentivize product managers to make product changes that are beneficial to different markets uh, so uh, just just to kind of slightly correct that, uh, there are multiple products at Indeed. Uh, job search is one of its products. Uh, there are products facing employer side. There are products facing uh, the job seeker side. There are products which are content only. So there is various products across Indeed, but every time these products are built, they're built with really data-driven decision-making, which means that where you can get highest ROI for every tech man are in, uh, invested and that's how it goes default to us and canada right and that, yeah and then there is this there's this international team which works across all these business units and tries to incentivize all product managers across all business units to localize and they standardize the process of localization across all the business units Okay. So what does localization tend to mean at Indeed? Is it just kind of translating different features or anything that you want to push for a certain product, like the content or the job search? Let's say you want to push specifically for your market. It has to be pushed across all markets. Uh, so so uh, localization at Indeed, we have essentially a concept called IPAs, which is International Product Analyst. These, are, these uh, IPAs are experts of each market so they will suggest what needs to be done in order to localize a product for that market this could range from just simple translations and more often than not sometimes it's just that but lots of times it requires product changes itself like changes in design uh, right. changes in the product logic so I, I can give you a good example we recently like uh, we had to localize a product for germany and we had to take care of their privacy laws, which is totally different. When we localized again to Germany, uh, there are people in Germany are kind of skeptical about uploading their resumes on a third party platform. So they're like, hmm, this is American company. I'm not going to upload my resume there. This is, I, I don't feel comfortable doing that. So then we needed to incorporate a new product logic, a new UI flow in order to upload and convince and coax users in order to be able to upload resumes in Germany. So this team of international product analysts would, who are 
each IPA is focused on each of its markets. Indeed, it exists in more than 60 markets. So we have more than 60 IPAs are experts in their markets. So they would go to various product teams and say that if you all wanted to localize for Germany, please, uh, I would, uh, they would go about give a bunch of recommendations on how to go about that. They would state the cultural nuances. They will work with UX research and try to kind of incorporate those cultural nuances in the, in the research process. So it's a pretty like advanced mm. localization process, I would say. Right. Okay. And it's not as prioritized in terms of product roadmap because the actual impact of that market isn't clear as, you know, US and Canada market, which clearly has ROI, right? Yes. So I think slowly and slowly that across indeed, we are trying to uh, get other markets more recognized. But in terms of our highest priority markets for us, it's US, Canada, uh, France, uh, Germany, and UK. So I think after that, you know, China is a gatewalled market, uh, indeed cannot operate there. Uh, India is one of the most, uh, like, is one of the growing emerging markets that we're slowly starting to invest on. So we do have a huge presence there, but we are not incentivized to localize to India, like not to Hindi, not to Malayalam or Tamil or anything of that sort. But again, uh, it is a complex product management kind of tussle uh, between various teams saying that, hey, is it the right time to invest your resources into uh, localizing for India at this point of time? Mm -hmm. So it depends. Some products which focus on traffic, maybe India's high impact. Some, folk, uh, some products which focus on revenue, probably not. India is not a very highly revenue generating market, but it's a huge traffic generating market. So you can see like it can be different priorities to different teams. I see. I see. And comparing that to the local business units, what are the pros and cons of each? Uh, to the local business units? Yeah. Well. So the, what I mean is the Indeed way, the Indeed business model of how product teams function and how products changes are pushed versus the efficiency of local business units used at Gojek. What do you think are places where Indeed is superior in terms of pushing product? Sure. So uh, I think what Indeed does really well and what's worked for them is a very data-driven decision-making process. So every single product change that needs to be pushed at Indeed will go out as an A-B test or will go out for a specific sample set of users. And there will be a statistical analysis done for the same and then there will be an opportunity size done even before investing in that particular uh, hypothesis testing. And post that, there will be a slow rollout and eventually you get to 100% of the rollout. So I think what uh, Indeed does well is that it can go about testing a large number of ideas, but kill the ideas that don't work early. But this model will work best with smaller changes rather than larger changes. Because you cannot A-B test business models. You can A-B test smaller changes uh, in your product. You can A-B test improving your conversion flows. You can A-B test, you know, essentially uh, driving more traffic. But you can't A-B test a new business model like food delivery for that matter. I can't run an A-B test of fake. I'm going to try, try running a food delivery business unit, but I'm going to run an A-B test around it. That's not possible, right? So... Uh, the pro of Indeed is that it will help you, once a business unit is uh, established, it will help you grow that in a very data-driven way and help you be successful. It will help you generate revenue. 
but it is not great for generating zero to one ideas like from the ground right. up. So uh, versus if you look at Gojek, uh, they do a great job of generating zero to one ideas because they move fast and just go about doing things. So Gojek is uh, far from data driven, right? They operate on instinct. They operate on, uh, they value speed over data. So they'll be like, let's just go ship it and see what happens. That's kind of like the default answer in Gojek, right? And uh, there's no A-B testing. There's no, kind of, once the thing is shipped, we just like building features on top of it without measuring the impact of those features. So again, so the pros and cons, pros that you can move really fast. You can make major big investments like new business models. But the con is that making it revenue positive is not uh, very easy because there's no data decision making. You're just building stuff. You never know right. it's right or not. And that kind of is staying back. Uh, that culture is stinging back right now. Uh, what I hear uh, from uh, people there is that now there's a sh slow shift in culture uh, in the last like three to six months where uh, the company is trying to prioritize more on data-driven decision-making uh, in these independent business units and telling people to slow down. They, they don't want speed anymore. Speed works mm -hmm. very well when you want to go build out a super app. I'm going to replicate 10 business models, put it on a single app. I need speed then. But now the company is at second phase of growth. And in its second phase of growth, they need to value, you know, thoughtful investment. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense about the stage of company and what works for them, whether it's yeah. high growth or more scaled back decision making and ensuring that you're going into the, in the right direction. Yeah. But also central decision-making. While Gojek allows decision-making to be made within different business units, I find that Indeed, as well as a lot of American companies, tend to hold decision-making back at HQ. Do you think that this is just a stage situation, or is it also a cultural and workplace values? Yeah, so I think um, Indeed does a relatively better job of decentralizing it to an extent. It is not as decentralized as Gojek, but it is not as centralized as Amazon for that matter. Right. So it's it's not like the power rests in hands of a supreme leader. So that does not... Jeff Bezos. <laughs> yeah, so that, that, that's not kind of like the model in uh, Indeed. Uh, and Indeed, we try to maintain a balance of both. So teams still have room to try stuff at least like 50% of their times they can go like try ideas. But I think 40, 50% of the time you will get some roadblock from the management saying that, hey, this is something probably don't want to try out in the most gentle way. So uh, Indeed is like, it's a Canadian company more than an American company, to be honest. So it uh, like the management is all Canadian. So it's very nice people. <laughs> oh, I'm Canadian. And, I'm in Canada right now. This is great to hear. Yeah, so I think in general, there is a better sense of decentralization than let's say places like Amazon. So Indeed does a pretty good job of that given its current state. Cool. Well, that is the conclusion of our interview. Thank you so much, Karthik. This has been really great. I think we got so much valuable insights about Southeast Asia and India from you. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, this is definitely very interesting and a lot of questions. I hope this interview was useful. Yeah, of course.